The Word of God is living. It is powerful, infallible, indestructible, incorruptible, and it will work mightily in me. And now, your host, Pastor Jerry Maya Williams, from the service already in progress. God, and I want you to know that the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ is not like any other blood type. It's not like blood type A or O or A positive, negative, or O positive or negative, or neither is it like blood type A or B. His blood type is precious, precious, precious blood. So he told his disciples to drink all of it, all of it. Then he wanted to explain to them, for this blood, for this is my blood of the new covenant. Now he's giving them wine, but he's saying, this is my blood. This is my blood. This is my precious blood. For this blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sin. And we know that Jesus died for the sins of the world. We know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So Jesus here, he is echoing the same sentiment of the father. He gave Jesus so the world would not be saved, at least those that believed in him, they would have everlasting life. And he says, this blood, this blood is my blood in the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sin for many. Why many? Why is it shed for many for the, rich, for the remission of sin, not all? God gave his son for all, but all would not receive him. All would not accept him. For those who do receive him, for those who do accept him, then his blood remits your sin. I want you to understand what remission is. Not only does the blood make an atonement, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. The blood not only atones for sin, the blood remits sin. In other words, regardless of how dark your past was, regardless of how vile your life was, regardless of how low you fell in life, when you came to Christ and you accepted his sacrifice on Calvary, glory to God, he remitted your sins. In other words, he totally erased them. He eradicated them. There is no remembrance in the mind of God of your past sins. My God, that's good news. That's good news. For this blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Then he went on to say to his disciples, now this is still on the night of the Passover. This is still the first communion. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He instituted the first communion. So he's... He's blessed the bread. He's broken the bread, gave it to his disciples. He's lifted the cup, gave thanks for the cup, gave it to his disciples and told them drink all of it. Then explained to them, this wine in this cup is really my blood, my blood in the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sin. Then he explained to them in verse 29, but I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. And guess what, beloved? 
His disciples was just as confused about what was going on at that first communion as me and my brothers were at our first communions. They were just as confused. How do you know they were confused? Even after Jesus died on the cross and was buried, and he rose the third day according to scripture, we find that after the resurrection, he appeared to his disciples as they assembled with him on the Mount of Olives. You find this in Acts chapter one. And he said to them, Jesus said to his disciples, he says, I, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Wait in Jerusalem and receive the promise of the Father for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. One of his disciples, one of the same ones that was at the first communion, they asked the question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They asked the question because they didn't understand. He already told them. He told them at the first communion, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. And there was no cup. There was no bread when he assembled with them on, on Mount Olives. He said, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father's put in his own hand, but you shall receive power. You shall receive power after that. The Holy Ghost is come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. And one of the things we need to witness of is communion. I'll show you that in a moment. You shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and even unto the other parts of the world, glory to God. Well, his disciples didn't understand this first communion. Many believers don't understand communion. They think it's a tradition. They think it's a ritual. They think it's some ceremony that churches do every first Sunday. Now, one of the reasons we don't partake of or, or observe the Lord's Supper every first Sunday because we're not a traditional church. So we observed the Lord's Supper on the fifth Sunday. Now, there was a time in this church we observed the Lord's Supper every Sunday. And that's our goal, to get back to observing the Lord's Supper every Sunday, not just one time a month or one time every fifth Sunday, but every Sunday. You want a scripture for that? Acts chapter 20th, verse 7. It says, when the disciple, when Paul came, and the disciples gathered together. They broke bread. On the first day of the week, they broke bread. I need you to hear this. On the first day of the week, they broke bread. And Paul preached to them. Now, we might get back to the first part of the scripture, but you probably don't want us to get back to the second part because he preached to them all night. He preached to them all day and all night. And I know you don't want to get back to that one. Huh? So, but the disciples, the point is the disciples didn't really understand what was going on at first communion. Now, they could relate to what happened during the Passover in Exodus, you know, before Israel came out of Egypt. They could relate to that. They could relate to the unleavened bread. They could relate to a lamb in every house. They could relate to that lamb had to be slain. 
that lamb had to be slain uh, at twilight. In other words, as soon as the sun went down, that lamb had to be slain. The same way Jesus, he hung on the cross at twilight. And that's why there was darkness over the face of the earth. They understood that. They understood God's instructions when God said, take the blood of the lamb and put it on the lintels of the house and over the doorposts of the house. And when I see the blood, I will pass over because God brought judgment upon Egypt. He brought judgment upon Egypt that he would slay the firstborn of every man and every beast that wasn't covered by the blood. So God says, when I see the blood, I will pass over. They understood that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So in this day and this time, God is still bringing judgment on all the world. Not just the firstborn, to every born who's not covered by the blood. Did you hear what I said? If you're not covered by the blood, then God's bringing judgment upon you and that judgment is death. But why do you want to die when Jesus died for you? He took your place on the cross. All you have to do is believe in him. Now the disciples, once again, beloved, they really didn't understand that first communion. But undoubtedly, they had related it to Paul. And God had given Paul a revelation of what he heard about the first communion. So when we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when we go to, may I have a glass of water? Not a glass, just a sip of water. When you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul shares the revelation about communion. This is the direct revelation that Paul got from God himself. Glory to God. Take the top off for me. This is the direct revelation that God, that Paul got from God himself. So Paul just didn't hear about the first communion. God gave him a direct revelation of this first communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, stay with me, beloved, we're almost through. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, here in Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, Paul says, for I received from the Lord. There it is. He says, I'm not telling you what I heard from one of the other disciples alone. I'm not telling you something that I read somewhere. Paul says, but I, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus Christ on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. He took bread. Jesus knew his death was imminent. He knew this was the last time he would break bread and share the cup with his disciples until he did it in his new kingdom as outlined in Revelation chapter 19 speaking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's when he would drink of the fruit of the vine with his disciples again. Because he knew he would be betrayed that night, arrested, tried, and convicted, and sentenced to capital punishment, that being crucifixion. Paul went on to say that, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, in other words, he broke the bread. Just like 
you and I read about in Matthew at the first communion. And he said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. What is God saying through Paul? He says, every time we observe the Lord's Supper, we are doing it not because we're hungry, not because we want a little shot of wine or grape juice. He says, we're doing it to be a witness to the world. We're proclaiming his death as a witness to the world that Jesus died. He was buried and he rose again. He shed his blood on Calvary's cross for every one of us as a sin offering. So we're doing it in remembrance of, uh, of him. Communion is not a funeral. It's not a solemn service. Some folk act like communion is a funeral service. No. We're doing it in remembrance of him. Consider Jesus, Hebrews says, Hebrews 12 is the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy, did you hear that? Who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Even though he died a horrendous, horrific death when he died on the cross, the Bible says he had joy in his heart. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is not a time to be sad. It is not a solemn time. It is a time to get the joy of the Lord on. Do this in remembrance of me. Then Paul went on to say in the same manner, he also took the cup at the supper, saying, this cup, is the New Testament in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So see, beloved, there you have it. God says you're to do this as often as you do it. And as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of him. So the Bible doesn't say that we ought to have communion every first Sunday. It doesn't say you ought to have communion every fifth Sunday. It doesn't say you ought to have communion once a week. The Bible says you can have communion as often as you like to have communion. Now, in the early church, communion was always part of a larger meal. And particularly with the Corinthians, it's part of a love feast. So this was Paul's revelation to the Corinthians because they were abusing it. They were taking the love feast and the Lord's Supper for a time of fun and getting drunk. That's right. Christians were getting drunk. Paul said, this is not what it's all about. This is about Jesus. This is about remembering what he did for us on the cross. So as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. Proclaim it. Proclaim it. Proclaim it. How are you proclaiming the Lord's death with a sad countenance? With a painful look on your face. How are you proclaiming the Lord's death? We proclaim the Lord's death by being a witness unto the Lord. We're letting the world know Jesus is alive and well. And we observe the Lord's Supper as a witness that he lives so you proclaim it till he comes. Then he went on to give some further instructions. You see, the first disciples, the original 12, they didn't understand this. But Paul did. 
Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So Paul says you can partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. The Corinthians were doing just that. Earlier I said to you and I said again, they abused it. They thought it was a time to have fun and a time, many of them thought it was a time to get drunk. He says, if you take it in an unworthy manner, then you're guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. I don't want to be the one to drive the nails in his hand, to drive the nails in his feet. I don't want to be the one who pierces him in the side. I don't want to be that one. I want to be that one who falls down at the cross and says, Lord, forgive me, save me, redeem me from sin and darkness. I want to be that one. You can't do this in an unworthy manner. But he says, let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Judge yourself. Judge yourself. This time of communion is so powerful. The Lord's Supper is so powerful that the Lord says we can't approach it with the wrong attitude. We can't approach it in an unworthy manner. He says, but whatever you do, I want you to approach it. That's why he says, judge yourself. I've seen many Christians just wave communion off because they didn't want to take it in an unworthy manner. If there's something in your life, that doesn't make sense, beloved. If there's something in your life that makes you unworthy, come on, that's the time to fix it. If you really believe Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood for you. That doesn't make sense. That's like having a need for money. Somebody says, here's the money. And you says, I'm unworthy. But yet God sent that person to be a blessing to you. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. See, we're playing church. We're being religious. You don't wave communion off. You take that opportunity to examine yourself and get right with God. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself. And this is not eternal judgment, by the way, beloved. Stop telling folks they're going to die and go to hell if they take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. That is not what the Bible says. Let me read it to you again. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What is that judgment? That judgment is the chastisement of the Lord. That judgment is the punishment that God brings upon your life because you disrespect the sacrifice of his only begotten son. You fail to discern the Lord's body. Every time we look at this, we come to communion and say, well, this is just a wafer. This is just some Jews. No, no, no. It's more than that. It represents more than that. This represents his broken body. This represents the blood that he shed. We must carefully discern the Lord's body. Then after you discern the Lord's body, you got to be careful for failing to discern the Lord's body. He said, this is the, Paul said, this is the exact reason so many Christians are weak, so many Christians are sick, and so many Christians have died prematurely. He called it sleep. It's the sleep of death. Why are people weak? Why are people sick? 
That is judgment being brought to themselves. That is the chastisement of God. That is the punishment of God because they failed to discern the Lord's body. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be sick. And I sure don't want to die before my time. I want the purpose of God, the plan of God, and the will of God to be accomplished in my life. And that's not going to happen if I partake of the Lord's Supper unworthily. That's not going to happen if I fail to discern his body. So Paul says that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. It's not for me to judge you. It's not for you to judge me. It's not for you to judge one another. We are called to judge ourselves. No man, no one died on the cross for you. Only Jesus died on the cross for you. Therefore, because of your saving faith, you must judge yourself. I've actually heard people say in church, oh, look at who's taking communion. Can you believe that child? He going up for communion. Well, thank God he's going for communion because maybe he made his peace with God. Somebody ought to say something. Maybe he made his peace with God. But if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord. There it is. That we may not be condemned with the world. And his last point of instruction was simply this. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, Wait for one another. Why do we wait for one another? Because we're one body. The body of the Lord which is broken, is it not? The bread which is broken, is it not? The body of Christ. The cup that we drink, is it not the blood of Christ? Paul also said this to the Corinthians in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. We wait for one another because we're one body. So Jesus didn't just die for me. He died for you, you, and you. He died for all of us. So Paul gave instructions about the first communion and every communion after that. If we'll follow these guidelines, these principles, then we'll find ourselves in good graces with God. We'll find ourselves in good standing with God. We'll find ourselves rendered into a position where we can expect God's very best in our lives. So, Father, we thank you. We bless this bread and we bless this cup. This bread is your body. This cup is the blood you shed for us. And thank you for shedding your precious blood. Almost all things under the law were purged by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But because you shed your blood, our sins are remitted. Our sins are forgiven. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. So those of you who earnestly and truly are walking in love and charity with your neighbor. And you intend to lead a new life in God's holy way. Then I invite you to draw near by faith. Come near to your television screens, your computer screens, wherever you are. Draw near by faith and take this holy sacrament to your own comfort. 
And as you take it, make your humble confession in your heart. Meekly kneel in your heart. If there's something that might render you unworthy, some unrepented sin, some unforgiven deed, ask God to forgive you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The body of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which was offered for us on Calvary's cross, to preserve our soul and our bodies unto everlasting life, take and eat the Lord's body, feed on it by faith in your heart, and be thankful that Jesus Christ died for you. Let us eat. The blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, which was shed for us on Calvary's cross. Let us now take it, drink all of it in remembrance that Christ shed his blood and died for us. Let us drink. I think I got all of it. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Every time we partake in the Lord's Supper, just like they did in the First Communion, just like Paul explained about the First Communion, we are proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. We are renewing our covenant Jesus said, this cup is my blood in the new covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is an agreement. It's a contract. And one of the first things you learn when you take a contract class is that there has to be at least three essential elements for there to legally be a contract. There has to be offer, acceptance, and consideration. What was the offer for God so loved the world? that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is the acceptance? For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he who knew no sin was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. Well, what is the consideration? Without consideration, there is no contract. The consideration is the precious blood of Jesus Christ that he shed for us on Calvary's cross. Glory to God. There it is, beloved. Be encouraged. Be renewed. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. And remember, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But do understand that faith works by love, the power of love. Faith works by love. Walk in love and have faith in God.
Join us Sunday at Agape Word Fellowship, where Dr. Jerry Maya Williams is your pastor, proclaiming a life-changing message of the agape love and power that God is. For more information, log on now at www.agapeword.net. 1430 South New Hope Road, Agape Word Fellowship.